If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The great joy of letters is that they are utterly authentic utterly immediate, utterly of the moment. And so you're really getting a a, a moment in time, a spark of life that travels down the ages. That was Simon Sebag Montefiore talking about the value of letters as a historical resource. Listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine. We're the UK's best selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History Magazine. Today's interview is with the best selling historian and author Simon Sebag Montefiore whose books include a two-part biography of Stalin, as well as histories of Jerusalem and the Romanov dynasty. His latest book is Written in History, in which he selects some of his favourite letters from the past. Our staff writer, Ellie Cawthorn, met up with Simon at his London home to find out more. Today's podcast guest is the historian and author Simon Sabag Montefiore, Simon's latest book, Written in History, brings together a wide-ranging collection of some of history's most emotive, evocative and impactful letters, penned from everybody, from Napoleon, Mark Antony, Elizabeth I, to Stalin, Mozart, Gandhi and Oscar Wilde. So, Simon, what exactly is the power of a great letter and why are letters so valuable to historians? The great joy of letters is that they are utterly authentic utterly immediate, utterly of the moment. And so you're really getting a a, a moment in time, a spark of life that travels down the ages. And the authenticity of them is the most important thing because oftentimes with private letters, you can literally hear how great historical figures talk to each other, talk to their lovers, their best friends, and what they're really thinking at that moment. And so... In terms of history, that's that's just a unique, uh, that's a unique treasure, really, for, for for a historian. But more than that, you know, we see inside people's souls, and some are famous, you know, like Mozart or Stalin or Ramesses the Great, and some are unknown people in extraordinary situations. I think that was one of the things I found most remarkable about the book. There was a point where I turned onto a letter by Mark Antony, and I thought, obviously, I've heard Mark Antony's story so many times. 
but I've never actually heard Mark Antony's voice. Well, that's right, Mark Antony. That Mark Antony letter, you get the sort of um, the slightly sort of rough, bawdy soldier's voice that was the real Mark Antony, and he's grumbling to Augustus, the future Augustus Octavian, that everyone is criticizing him for screwing Cleopatra, and he says to Augustus, "But yet you're sort of sleeping with umpteen um, Roman women. What's the difference? Why should it make the hell of a difference?" And the key to the letter because this is a book of letters that have some historical impact, as you said, the key to the letter is that it did make a difference who he was screwing, because the Roman people didn't mind Augustus sleeping with lots of, um, lots of other Roman women, but they were very suspicious of a Roman imperator um, having an affair with an Eastern queen like Cleopatra. So it did make a difference. There's a massive variety of different letters here. Can you give us an idea of some of the different uses that they were put to? The great joy of these letters, great joy of letters generally, is that they, they're basically usable for anything. I mean, you can use a letter to, to um, make an appointment with um, your electrician um, or a builder or meet someone for a quick drink. Um, but at the same time... Um, you can make you can use a letter to make a public statement. So, for example, in this in this book, um, we have Emile Zola's famous letter "J'accuse," which was written to the French president in public. It's published in the newspapers, and it's really opening up and exposing the corruption and anti-Semitism that launched the Dreyfus affair in the 1890s in France. So that's what that's probably the most famous public letter. And there are many other letters that are written privately, but are, are designed to be. Um, read by other people. And then, of course, um, there are diplomatic letters between kings, like, for example, Ramesses the, Ramesses the Great. Um, there's the most famous and most important letter probably in all of history, which is the blank check letter given, given by the Kaiser and the Chancellor of Germany in, in 1914 to the emperor and foreign minister of Austria-Hungary, saying you can do whatever you like. Germany will support you. You can, you can crush Serbia. Um, it doesn't matter. We're behind you. And, of course, that's the blank check letter that caused World War I. Many, many tens of millions of people died because of that letter. So you can't get much more impactful than that. But other letters are impactful because uh, they heralded a new period of, of um, civil rights, freedoms for African-Americans, for example, for black slaves, um, or for women's rights. So... Um, you know, or just for women's um, consciousness. So, for example, there's a, there are very erotic letters, very sexy letters by Anais Nin, for example, writing to her lover, the writer Henry Miller. Now, this is this is one of the great erotic, messy, madcap, um, delicious correspondence of all time, and everyone should should read the whole correspondence because it's amazing. But Anais Nin was also the woman who really created the erotic voice of the modern woman in the 20th century. And there are also letters by Frida Kahlo, the, the Mexican artist, to her husband, um, Diego Rivera. And again, these letters really were, were her creating a new sort of female art, a new concept of how women express themselves as painters, as writers, as women. So Frida Kahlo, Frida Kahlo's letters are, are, quite, are quite outrageous, but also marked a new era. As you mentioned, there are a lot of love letters in here, but quite a lot of the time, these letters are so important, not only because of their kind of private 
insights, but because they were actually intensely political. I'm thinking of um, the letter from Henry VIII to Anne Boleyn, for example, or James I to his lover, the Duke of Buckingham. Yes, I mean, um, many of the love letters in here are there for special reasons. I mean, for example, there's Catherine the Great to her lover, Prince Potemkin, who became probably the greatest statesman of, of modern of modern Russian history in the last 300 years. But those letters are amazing. I mean, in, in the Catherine the Great letter, she she writes to him, she says, like, you know, you I have to give um, orders to every single hair on my body to resist you. And what have you done? You've driven the most brilliant mind in Europe mad with lust for you. But, of course, they were the greatest political partnership of, of, of all time. Um, and they conquered the Ukraine, Crimea, and did many other amazing things. Um and you mentioned James I as Duke of Buckingham. We've got some gay love letters in here, of course. And um, though they would neither of them regard themselves as, as gay in the slightest, as before the very concept of gayness existed, James I is clearly in love with, with um, the Duke of Buckingham. And um, similarly, we have Vita Sackville Vest's letters to Virginia, letter to Virginia Woolf, you know, centuries later. Um, there's another great, you know, another great series of love letters. Um, are those between Suleiman the Magnificent and Roxolana, the Russian slave girl, who becomes his queen, the mother of um, his children, and uses the name Harem Sultan, and they wrote poems and letters to each other. Uh, that was also decisive for the Ottoman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire was the biggest empire in the world at that time. So many of these love letters have special significance, whether whether it's just artistic, whether it's um, for the for the gender for their gender or, or or immediately political. Whose letter writing style most enamoured itself to you? Well, you know you've got amazing letter writers in here. I mean, for example, we've got Thomas Jefferson in a letter that most people don't know, writing to his young mistress when he was ambassador in France, um, and he he's, he he writes this letter in the style of a conversation between his head and his heart, and anyone who's been in love will recognise this is one of the great brains of modern times, um, applying itself not to the not to the Declaration of Independence of America, but to but to the question of what it's like to be in love and heart and broken hearted. Um, so that's that's one brilliantly written letter. But we've also got letters by Chekhov here, um, who's writing about the sort of what he saw among the prison colonies of Siberia and, and Sakhalin in, in Russia. Um, we've got letters by um Mozart, which are completely zany, outrageous, scatological, obsessed with um, defecating and fornicating. And when you read these, you realise that that sort of manic genius that you saw in Amadeus, and which created Don Giovanni or whatever, was also a sort of um, a frenzy of creativity that you can see in these letters, which shocked everybody, shocked his parents, for example, um, so, you know, we've got some amazing sort of writers in here. Um, you know, I, I mean, Chekhov's letters are very famous. Flaubert's letters are very famous. They both write about sexual adventures on their travels, which was a sort of very common subject of letters in the 19th century and 18th century. So you had the entirety of history to choose from here. How on earth did you go about finessing this down into the list that we end up with here? Well, it's funny because we're talking in my library in my house. And we had the idea to do this. And of course, as, as every writer knows, the, the, the deadline comes and you suddenly find you've got to do it now. And so I literally just got my daughter, who's 17, and we walked around this library. 
And um, I just went up the ladder, as you can see, you're sitting just near it. Um, I went up and I looked at books and just handed books down to her with the letters that I found. And she photographed them with her phone. And um, that's how we really, how we collected most, the great majority of these letters. You suggest in the introduction that there was what you call a golden age of letters that stretched from the medieval age to the 1930s. What set of circumstances aligned in order to make that a golden age of letters? And is the golden age of letters dead and gone for good? Well, first of all, it was the the 500 years. um, You know, there were letters written long before that. I mean, one of the fascinating things about, about about letters, and you'll see in this book, is that we have letters from the ancient world. We have letters from from ancient Egypt in here, which were, um, at, which were which were sent between kings and were preserved and were found um, centuries later. So there are letters throughout history, but obviously the golden age of letters was when people like would spend hours every day writing letters frenziedly into the night with poor light, probably by candlelight. Um, Catherine the Great, for example, described herself as a graphomaniac. She was always writing letters because. The more energy you had to write letters, um, the more the more people would know about what you were doing, and it was a way of publicising yourself and reaching other people. I mean, another another theme in this book is war, and we have letters by Peter the Great, Napoleon, um, and others who who wrote letters the day after their victories. And if you can imagine, they were sitting on a battlefield strewn with bodies, smoking from the gunpowder, and they would be writing to everybody saying. You know, I've just won this great battle. Um, and in these letters, Peter the Great writes to his 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 wife, sort of mistress wife, who insists, well, come and come and help me celebrate. So, but what made what made the, the golden age happen was the availability of paper. Um, the availability of paper, the cheapness of paper uh, for the first time. And then um, you know, the, the ability to send it, um, you know, the beginning of post-mail. Um that, that meant that people could to write to people in distant places. And the effect of these letters was that people suddenly could step outside just their, their home, their village, their family, and imagine a kind of community, uh, a society, if you like, a European society. So in many ways, the letter, uh, and some of these letters in this book, demonstrate this. You know, the letter opened up the world to people. And so you have a nice example in this book is, that, you know, Balzac and um, Countess Hansk, well, she, she actually had never met him, but she wrote him a letter, a fan letter across Europe. She was in Poland. She was a wealthy landowner's miserable wife, miserable wife, and he was Balzac, the greatest novelist in Europe and living in Paris. And she wrote to him, and they began a love affair by letter without ever having met. And when they did meet, they really fell in love. So those letters are here. And so, so that, was the, that was the golden age. And what really ended it was of course the telephone first of all, and then and then ultimately you know the internet, email, um, and all the all the um, terrible things we know, Twitter, texting, sexting, all of that. But I don't think that, that the age of the letter is over. I mean, first of all, this is just a celebration. This book is a celebration. These are letters that most people won't know. I mean, some some they will know. Uh, for example. You know, there's a there's a letter from Elizabeth I to met to her sister Bloody Mary begging for her life, quite a well known letter. But virtually all the others you'll find, a, a, you know, you'll find a pretty original in this, and um, and pretty pretty fascinating. And they're really letters that thrilled me. I mean, for example, I'm just looking at one here. Um, 
There's Rasputin's letter to Nicholas II, begging him not to start World War I. Then there's a letter from Philip II, the King of Spain. Um, his, his admiral, uh, the Duke of Medina Sidon, had written to him and said, the Armada, this is in 1588, the, the Armada is going to fail. We mustn't, we mustn't launch the Armada. And Philip II writes, this is the letter Philip II writes to tell him to get, to get on with it. It's God's will. There are so many fun ones. There's Fanny Burney's letter um, about describing how she'd undergone um, surgery on her breast, to have her breast off with ca- after she had cancer without any anaesthetic at all. And she describes it in detail. So there's really remarkable stuff in here. But um, so I'm hoping that people will read this and start to sort of think like, actually, letters are a good, are a good, a good way to communicate. Because I think everyone knows that in email and, tw- and text, you don't really put soul into one's into one's um, writing. One doesn't really care about the words. One just tries to be as abbreviated and sort of slangy as possible. And one doesn't respect the words that one's sending. And one doesn't really respect the sender. Well, with a letter, you're never alone as you write a letter because you can imagine someone getting it, opening it, receiving it, keeping it. I think it raises an interesting question for what historians of the future are going to have to work with because we have these incredible, poetic, Mm. amazingly written... Um, long letters, whereas are they just going to have tweets and WhatsApp and email? It's going to be somewhat less um Well, we're not really get, they're not really going to have anything. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the trouble. I mean, people sometimes say to me, because I've written biographies of Stalin and Catherine the Great and so on, and people have said to me, well, how would you write um, about Putin, for example? Um, well, you wouldn't really be able to because, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be nothing to write a personal letter while with these letters, while we feel writing a biography of Winston Churchill or Joseph Stalin or um, Frederick the Great, you know, you have thousands of letters by them. You can really enter into their uh, minds because you can see thousands of letters that they've written. But I think, I don't think all is lost because about 10 years ago, we thought the book was finished and actually the books are all recovered. And I think the same will happen with letters because one of the lessons we've seen today is that um, emails and texts aren't secure, and everything encrypted can be in, can be decrypted, de-encrypted. And so, um, I think that people will gradually return to realizing that letter is a secure way of writing, because it can't be harvested by our security services like everything else, like all all the digital communications can be. And therefore, I think that people will return to writing uh, letters. And I also think that part of this has already started because. If you speak to top top spies, top statesmen in different countries, and I've spoken to people in England, in America, in, in, in Russia, in the Kremlin, they'll say, you know, people are starting to write letters and write notes now, um, you know, which which they wouldn't have done for the last 25 years, really, because it was e- it was everyone was using emails and believing that those emails were secure, and they're not. So I think it, these things often start at the top, and work down into society. So I think people should celebrate by writing letters now. You, you mentioned that people might not have seen a lot of these letters before, and one that really caught my eye was from Gandhi to Hitler. And I didn't even know that the two of them were in any kind of correspondence. Can you tell us a bit about that letter? Well, it's a great, it's a great letter just because it's two of, the, two of the 20th century's greatest and sort of contradictory characters. I mean, you can't imagine greater evil and greater goodness in communication. But of course, Hitler never answered these letters. They're really of interest. They're, they're of interest because it shows Gandhi's nature. Um, you really need to read 
this alongside Hitler's letter to Mussolini on the night before he invaded Russia in 1941. And both those letters are in here, by the way, um, because in Gandhi's letter, you see how a man who loved peace couldn't understand how someone like Hitler could believe that war was the answer to everything, war and annihilation. And at the same time, um, Hitler writes to Mussolini, his ally, to break it to him that he's actually concealed the fact that he's about to do launch this kind of extraordinary war of destruction, invading Russia, Operation Barbarossa. And you see Hitler's mind um, at the very, very climax of his power when he thought he was unbeatable. I mean, hubris personified and why he's starting another war within, you know, within World War II. And of course, this was the war that destroyed him. So it's a very, very interesting letter. So there's great evil in these letters. I mean, we also have letters from Stalin ordering people to be executed, um, from Mao ordering his Red Guards to sort of to sort of um, attack people and launch the Cultural Revolution, from Lenin to to Bolsheviks ordering them to hang fat, you know, hundreds of people, innocent people, to make a point. Um, and at the same time, you have, you know, Nelson Mandela's amazing letters to his wife, Winnie, which really do reveal him as one of the 20th century's greatest, sort of greatest, most humanitarian people who who doesn't disappoint, actually. And the letters are so astonishing and remarkable that, you know, you've got to read them. Um, so there's great sort of hope in this in this collection, but there's also, there's also many warnings from history. One of those warnings from history is, is a letter that was never sent um, from Eisenhower. It's Eisenhower, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's from Eisenhower, and it's actually fascinating because I've got both letters. When he, in 1944, um, when he was launching D-Day, the invasion of Nazi Europe, um, in Normandy, he sat down and he wrote two letters. One was to the troops to say, well done, you know, we're attacking Normandy. And the second one was the letter they were to be given if it failed. And he basically takes responsibility for this cat- catastrophe. And so he never sent the second one. The, the landings did succeed. And so, but I've put both letters here, um, you know, to see. And I'll tell you another, another, great, another great series of letters that I love is the letters of downfall, the letters of goodbye. Um, so one of my favourites is from the caliph, Abdul Rahman III, of, who ruled Spain, Muslim Spain. And he was one of the most brutal and successful, triumphant monarchs of Europe. And after 50 years of victory, he wrote to his sons and he said, you know, I look back at 50 years as I lie dying of triumph, of splendour, of magnificence, of power, of wealth. And I realise I've just had 14 days of happiness. And that's such a wonderful um, letter, such a comment on the transience of human success. And another one I love is um, Henriette, a beautiful married woman's letter to Casanova, the great lover. And normally we think of Casanova breaking everyone's hearts and behaving very callously. But this is the woman that broke his heart. And this is the letter um, of a married woman going back to her husband and saying, we've had this amazing, passionate love affair, but it's over and it can never happen again. And, um, and I've loved knowing you. And, of course, Casanova never got over it. So there's, there are very sort of um, touching letters like that. But my favourite of the goodbyes is the letter from Hadrian um, that he sent in a form of a small poem to his friends, the Emperor Hadrian, um, one of the most successful Roman emperors. And he just wrote it in, in Latin, but I'll just read you the English because it's so touching. Little soul, little wanderer, little charmer, 
body's guest and companion, to what places will you set out for now? To darkling, cold and gloomy ones. And you won't make your usual jokes. There was one more um, set of letters I wanted to ask you about, which is the letters between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, which actually ended up in the pair of them duelling. Yes. Um, There are are letters of sort of destruction in here, letters of sort of doom, really, um, which are all unnecessary. I mean, there's, there's Oscar Wilde's letter where he where he 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 he's received the insulting note from his male lover's father, the Marquis of Queensbury, and that leads to his libel case, which led to his destruction and his imprisonment. Um, there's Pushkin's letter, in which Pushkin um, takes umbrage and challenges um, a young popinjay who's been flirting with his wife to a duel in which he's killed. And then there's the Burr um, Hamilton letters, and those are, those of you who haven't seen the musical must see it. It's absolutely wonderful. But these are the real letters that led to this destruction. And though they're written in this kind of incredibly elaborate legalistic manner, you can gradually see through them that they are actually going to fight to the death about this. And of course, you know Ham- Alexander Hamilton, probably one of the greatest, fascin- most fascinating of the founding fathers of America, is killed unne- totally unnecessarily in this question, this duel of honour. Did you have one favourite letter that you could highlight? Maybe that's too impossible a question, I'm not sure. And also, you personally, what's the best letter that you've ever written or received? I think one of my favourite letters in here is is by the mistress of Simon Bolivar, the conqueror of South America, the liberator of South America, and she has this, she has this Manuela, she's called. She's one of the most extraordinary women in history, wonderful character, wild and and free. And she has this, she's she's married to a much older man, and she has this affair with Simon Bolivar, and he sends her back to her husband. And so she decides this is never gonna, this is never gonna work for me. I'm gonna have to write a letter to my husband that really makes it impossible for me to marry to him. So she writes him this incredibly rude letter. So this is Manuela to James Thorne in 1823, and she just says, no, 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 hombre, a thousand times no. Sir, you are an excellent person, indeed one of a kind, but like that I will never deny. I only regret that you are not a better man, so that my leaving you would honour Bolivar more. I know very well I can never be joined to him in what you call honour. Do you think I am any less honourable because he is my lover, not my husband? Ah, I do not live by social conventions men construct to torment us. So leave me be, my dear Englishman. We will marry again in heaven, but not on this earth. On earth, you are a boring man. Up there in the celestial heights, everything will be so English because a life of monotony was invented for you people who make love without pleasure, conversation without grace, who walk slowly, greet solemnly, move heavily, joke without laughing. But enough of my cheekiness with all the sobriety, truth and clarity of an English woman, I say now, I will never return to you. You are a Protestant and I a pagan, but I am also in love with another man and that is the greater, stronger reason. You see how precise my mind can be, your invariable friend, Manuela. And I think the best, the best letters I ever received were from my father because he was very a man of very few words and he wrote very little, and it was you could tell by his terrible handwriting. He was a doctor, 
um, that he hated writing these letters. So when I was at boarding school and I was young, I used to receive many from my mother who wrote easily, long pages and pages, but my father would write about three agonized lines. And that meant um, more to me than anything. And I think the, the best letters I ever wrote, now I come to think of it, um, were from South Africa when I was working down the gold mines. Um, and I wrote letters to my parents from there. Um, long, long letters describing every detail of life. Um, and I think those are probably um, those are probably the best letters. I've still got them. And um, they're amazing record of, of life, a life of adventure far away. And that's what letters are for. That was Simon Sabag Montefiore. Written in History, Letters That Changed the World, is out now, published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson. OK, well, that's about all for today, but we'll be back on Monday with more from the world of history. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. Thank you.